Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Programme. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Wow, a beautiful Tuesday and a brief history lesson. This, this is a, one of those memes that's floating around. Uh, I saw it on Twitter this morning. I'm assuming it's all over Facebook and, and whatnot. But it, it's apropos of my question for the first hour of our program today uh, in our Second and third hours, by the way, uh, Dr. Jeffrey Sachs is going to drop by and, and uh, Dr. Trita Parsi. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, America's goals and the Iran deal in our second and third hour. But in this first hour, the question on my mind is how long are the Republicans going to successfully get away with lying to their own voters? How long can they pull this thing off? They're, you know, they're, they're still getting a, a surprising amount of support. And it, well, it's surprising if you're, if you're watching the real news, as it were. I mean, it's, it's surprising if you're watching CNN or MSNBC or NBC or ABC or CBS or reading the Washington Post or the New York Times, uh, not to mention, you know, Alternet or Raw Story or Truthout or Common Dreams or any, you know, any of these other sites. But there's this small percentage of Americans, you know, apparently 10, 20, 30 percent, something like that, some, somewhere in that neighborhood, who get most of their, what they think of as news from right-wing hate radio. You see this uh, particularly among people who drive for a living, because virtually every city in America has a right-wing radio station. Uh, there are very few and far between left-wing radio stations. Right wing everywhere. And, and of course, all the folks who you know, live with Fox so-called news. So it seems like without this right wing ecosystem feeding, feeding basically the lies that have supported the Republican Party up to this point, it wouldn't exist. Which brings about some interesting. But anyhow, this brief history lesson, this, this thing that's floating around the Internet. Uh, 1928. 
step into the Wayback Machine. This is, what, 89 years ago. 1928, Republicans take control of the presidency, the House, and the Senate. Followed by the Great Depression, massive unemployment, and a stock market crash. The next time Republicans took control of the House, the Senate, and the White House was in 2000. No, seriously, uh, you know, Reagan never had the House of Representatives. In fact, the, the House of Representatives, uh, Republicans lost the House of Representatives in the election of 1932. They had it back for one congressional session, one, you know, one two-year period, 47-48. And that was it until Bill Clinton became president. The Republicans did not have control of the House of Representatives. The second time it happened, where you had Republicans controlling the House, the Senate, and the White House, and a majority on the Supreme Court, which was also the case in 1928, although the court arguably doesn't make policy, so that's just kind of anecdotal or, you know, interesting factoid. But in 2000 was the second time that the Republican Party took control of the House, the Senate, and the White House. And that was followed by two recessions, including the Great Recession, massive unemployment, and the stock market crash. <laughs> and now, 16 years later, 2016, Republicans take control of the presidency, the House, and the Senate again. And this, this graphic that's going around with this uh, viral meme. Anyone want to guess what happens next? Paul Krugman, writing in today's New York Times. I mentioned yesterday his blog post and how he has identified 10 specific lies in, in the uh, Trump slash Republican tax plan. His column today is titled, The GOP is no party for honest men. And he says, according to a new CBS News poll, almost 60% of the American public believes that the current Republican tax plan favors the wealthy. Now, just think about this for a minute. 60% of Americans. So Americans know what the Republicans are up to, right? It's about tax breaks for rich people. American public knows this. And Paul Krugman is pointing out 60% of the American public absolutely knows this. But what's shocking is that 40% of Americans are believing the lies. That's massive. Krugman points out in his column today, according to the Nonpartisan Tax Policy Center, by 2027, almost 80% of the gains from Trump's plan, the Republican plan, the, the Ryan McConnell Trump tax plan, whatever, you know, almost 80% of the gains would go to the top 1%. Just 12% of the gains would go to the middle 60% of Americans, and more than a quarter of middle-class families would actually see their taxes go up, writes Paul Krugman. So he says, the questions we should be asking, instead of why Republicans are pushing this so hard, is how they hope to get away with it. He points out that this is all about the big donors, it's all about the billionaires wanting their damn tax cuts, you know? They're, they're outraged. I mean, this, is, this is, appears to be the thing that just totally pushed the right-wing billionaires over the top was that Obamacare, the Obamacare subsidies that Trump just cut off, were funded in part by a 3.8% increase in the capital gains tax, which is the tax rate that wealthy people pay on their income. You're rich enough to organize your income, so it comes as 
long-term capital gains rather than regular income, you pay a top tax rate of 20% instead of 39%. And in fact, one of Trump's proposals is to, first of all, lower that to 15%, and secondly, to allow anybody who is wealthy enough to basically incorporate themselves to take their income tax rate from 39%, where it is right now, down to 15% by having what's called a pass-through entity. So you, you basically, you know, so I own, you know, the, this radio show, right, or this radio TV show or whatever this thing. And if I were to, instead of, uh, right now, the way I pay myself is I pay myself a paycheck through, you know, a, an accounting company that pays all of our employees and handles, you know, our health insurance and everything else. But it, with Trump's proposed tax policies going to place, I could instead simply pay myself as a pass-through through the company, since I own the company. And if Trump's proposals take place, then my maximum tax rate becomes 15%. I mean, that's pretty amazing. And it's not just me, it's anybody in America who is, you know, doing business. And so it's like this, this you know, that's, that's not a publicly traded company. And of course, publicly traded companies, you know, the executives are more and more being paid with stock. And so they're paying that 15 or 20% top tax rate. So that's what it's all about. So anyhow, Paul Krugman says the answer is a strategy. How is it that they, how can an administration sell such elitist policies? He says, the answer is a strategy based entirely on lies. And I mean entirely. The Trump administration and its allies are lying about every aspect of their tax plan. I'm talking about flat-out, easily refuted lies. Like the lie that America has the world's highest tax rate. Among rich countries, we actually have close to the lowest tax rate in the world. Or the claim that uh, estate taxes are a huge burden on small businesses. Uh, Paul Krugman points out almost no small businesses pay any estate tax whatsoever. So we asked the question again, how do they get away with it? And he said, maybe, you know, maybe they, they're just, Republicans are just fine with lies. This is a great majority of Republican politicians know perfectly well that their party is lying about its tax. So my question is, do the Republican voters realize that the Republican Party is lying about its tax? What do you think? How long do you think that the, 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 the GOP continue this year? This is the Tom Hartman Program. I'm always going to have the people for whom their principal information source is Limbaugh or Hannity or whatever, but what about the rest of the Hey, Tom Hartman here with the Tom Hartman Program. You know I'm serious about my health, and so I'm doing something for it. You've heard me talking about Super Beets. I'm drinking Super Beets, circulation superfood powder that helps support my heart and healthy blood pressure, too. I have amazing energy, amazing stamina as well. The New York Times calls beets fitness in a glass. With Super Beets, I get all the benefits without the bad taste or added sugar. Mix it in water or a smoothie for a jitter-free energy boost. You'll love the taste of Super Beets and feel results in as little as 20 minutes guaranteed of your money back. Try the original berry or black cherry. I like them both. If you haven't tried it yet, now is the time. Only for the summer, you can try Super Beets, maybe the early fall here. Try Super Beets for only $5.95. Here's how. Call now and get a free box of Super Beats with 10 packets to try and feel the results. Plus two free indicator strips for monitoring your nitric oxide levels before and after taking Super Beats. It's just $5.95. You'll love the results, guaranteed. More energy, more stamina, support healthy circulation. What are you waiting for? Call 800-568-9889. That's 800-568-9889. Or go to tomsbeats.com. 
That's tomsbeats.com. Uh, the GOP is no party for honest men by Paul Krugman. I was sharing uh, little pieces from his, uh, his column today. Uh, his column yesterday is titled, or his, it's actually on his blog uh, over at the New York Times, is titled Lies, 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 specifically 10 of them, because there are 10 specific lies that the Trump administration and Donald Trump and the Republican Party and Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan are using to sell their tax cut for rich, rich people. And, you know, I think it's pretty important that these, these lies be clearly identified. But like I said, it raises the question, if, if these are all actually lies and Krugman actually backs up every assertion that he makes here, how much longer can the Republicans pull off this scam? I mean, how long, how, you know, and, and to what extent is the media outside of, you know, Fox so-called news owned by billionaire Rupert Murdoch, of course, it's going to be the mouthpiece for billionaire self-interest, right? Fox News. I mean, that just makes perfect sense. And Limbaugh, you know, I mean, his last contract was, what, $400 million? Hannity, $200 million? Um, <laughs> These guys, you know, they know which side of the bread, the, the, you know, the, which side their bread is buttered on and, and, you know, where they're going with this. So, but outside of that little media universe, how long are Republican voters going to continue to buy this stuff? Uh, Krugman goes through the lies. This is just on the tax plan. But, you know, you see this, by the way, these lies on the environment, these lies from the Republicans on climate change. Uh, we just had the most severe, I mean, a hurricane hitting Ireland. This has literally never happened before. And now the, the, the Atlantic Ocean has warmed up enough, you know, 80, 90, 90% of the heat that the Earth is trapping as a consequence of the increased greenhouse gases is being stored in our ocean. Water's denser than air. It's, you know, it's a giant storage device. It's like a giant battery. It's warming up the oceans. It's killing off the, the you know, large chunks of the food chain. And it's producing hurricanes that are of mind-boggling intensity. And, but anyhow, we'll get to that. But, but you know, so there's this whole kind of a hierarchy of lies. Uh, you know, Trump just, uh, the uh, Trump's, uh, was it USDA or FDA? One of the other, I think it was the USDA just said, you know, oh, you know, this pesticide is just fine, you know, that's being banned all over the world. And it's just, you know, anyhow, lie number one, America is the most highly taxed country in the world. Uh, Krugman says this is Trump's, Trump's special. He said it many, many times, most re recently, just this past week. And every time fact checkers pile on to point out that it's false. So why does Trump keep repeating it, even though he knows it's a flat out lie? I suspect, Paul Krugman writes, it's a power thing. He enjoys showing he can lie repeatedly through his teeth. Now, I'll tell you what it is. This is, this is, this is not new. Uh, you know, uh, Franklin Roosevelt, uh, we've got a clip of, of FDR talking about the big lie. This is the big lie technique. This is, this is Goebbels pointed this out. He said, you want, to, you want to successfully fool the people? Lie, lie big, lie ostentatiously, lie, you know, just over the top. And people will say, you know, for its very, you know, audaciousness, it must be true. So that's lie number one. Lie number two, the estate tax is destroying farmers and truckers. No, it's not. He says, uh, lately Trump has added a new twist, portraying the estate tax as terrible burden on hardworking truckers. For who among us doesn't own an $11 million fleet of trucks? See, the 
estate tax doesn't kick in unless the estate you're leaving is worth over $11 million. And even then, it's not like, gee, they're, they're going to take half. I mean, the tax begins on the $11 million and it's a graduated tax. It's a progressive tax, so it starts out very, very low. Anyhow, number th- line number three, taxation of pass-through entities is a burden on small businesses. That's what I was talking about, where if Trump's tax thing goes through, as the owner of a small business, I'll get a personal windfall out of this. But the government is going to get less tax income. And, you know, what benefit is it to giving people who are already in the top, you know, at least the very top 5%, uh, you know, a, a, a giant tax break? I, I don't get it. I mean, I, I wouldn't object to a tax cut, but if it's going to hurt my country, actually, I would object to a tax cut on myself. Lie number four, cutting profits taxes. Cutting profits taxes really benefits workers. And it is cutting taxes on profits. Uh, no, it doesn't. It doesn't benefit workers at all. Lie number five, repatriating overseas profits will create jobs. Uh, he points out that there is absolutely no evidence for this. And in fact, the evidence, if you look back to when Bush allowed corporations to bring, bring pot profits back from overseas and only pay 5% on them, they didn't use that money to hire people. They used that money to increase the pay and the bonuses of the senior executives and the stockholders. Pure and simple, mostly through share, through share buybacks. Lie number six, this is not a tax cut for the rich. Right, except that it is a tax cut for the rich. Lie number seven, it's a big tax cut, cut for the middle class. Krugman says, no, sorry. Uh, 80% of the tax cut goes to the top 1%, only 12% to the middle three quintiles. Lie number eight, it won't increase the deficit. Oh, it's going to explode the deficit, as every Republican tax cut since Reagan has done. Lie number nine, cutting taxes will jumpstart rapid growth. No, <laughs> there's no evidence of this. And lie number 10, tax cuts will pay for themselves. They never have, they never will. Just look at Kansas and Sam Brownback. So how long are they going to be able to get away with it? I find this just a, a fascinating question. And, you know, I'm hoping the answer is, you know, not much longer. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. But we'll find out. Back with your calls. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. A couple of other just uh, not so much smaller points, but not apropos of the question of the hour. I'm going to pick up your calls in just a second here. But uh, Richard Spencer, the right wing, well, the Nazi, you know, the or whatever he calls himself. He was uh, interviewed this week by uh, Michael Edison Hayden. And this is from, I believe, Think Progress, whatever site this is from, when you print their pages, it doesn't show the name of the site on it. Um, and he spoke to Spencer this week and he, and, and he said, what do you think about American democracy? You know, and, and asked him, you know, Spencer was talking about the founders. And so the question was, well, you want to go back to America as it was when, when it was founded? In other words, women can't vote? I mean, he didn't even get to the issue of people of color. And Spencer said, I'm not terribly excited about voting in general. I think that mass democracy is a bit of a joke, to be honest. Really? So then uh, Richard, uh, excuse me, then Michael Edison Hayden asked him again, what about women voting? And Spencer said, I don't necessarily think that's a great thing. Uh, He said, uh, and back in September 27th, 2016, he tweeted, women should never, this is Richard Spencer, right? Uh, This is your 
right-wing wonderkind. Women should never be allowed to make foreign policy. It's not that they're weak. To the contrary, their vindictiveness knows no bounds. This, the, see, this is this characteristic that you see so frequently in the hard right, is that it is men who basically fear or hate women. I don't know how to describe it other than that. And Greg Popovich, but you know, I'm, I'm going to do the Greg Popovich thing a little later on. I've got a bunch of people who've been sitting on hold for a while wanting to weigh in on these issues. So uh, let's just get to it. Uh, Brian in North Brand, Minnesota. Hey, Brian, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. It's an honor to speak with you. Thank you, Brian. What's on your mind? Uh, yeah. I have a degree in psychology, uh, and I realize that this alone doesn't make me an expert on uh, neurological disorders, but it is painfully obvious, even to a casual observer, that Donald Trump exhibits the hallmarks of early-onset dementia, um, uh, everything from his forgetfulness in signing documents to not knowing where his limo is part, to his word salads, to his sundowning. Yeah. And I just wanted your opinion, one, if, if you if you in fact think Donald Trump has early onset dementia and two, this goes hand in hand with what you're discussing this morning. Are the Republicans lying to Americans about his mental health? That's a good question. Yeah. And, uh, I, I think the, the unequivocal answer is yes. Uh, number one, as to whether I think that he has early onset dementia, I'm, I'm skeptical actually that he's, that he has dementia. I think that probably he has, uh, you know, age appropriate brain shrinkage. I mean, you know, after the age of, really in your 50s, in the mid-50s, but it starts picking up in your 60s, um, uh, brain size does actually reduce, uh, particularly for people who, who uh, drink alcohol regularly, which Trump doesn't do. But, uh, you know, he's 71, 72 years old, so a certain amount of, you know, forgetting to sign the document or forgetting where his limousine is, uh, you know, that, it, I'm not seeing patterns in his behavior and his, uh, what, you know, uh, in his speech in general, that would be indicative of dementia. What I am seeing are patterns that are indicative of somebody who started out with an average to low IQ, started out with massive personal insecurity, um, started out with, with an absolute empty bucket, uh, to use the old you know, psychotherapy language. Uh, you know, There's just a giant hole in the bottom of his emotional bucket. No matter how much you pour into it, it's never enough. No matter how much love, no matter how much approval, no matter how much praise you give him, it's just never enough. The guy is a is a walking bundle of need, and uh, so I, you know, I rather than dementia, I, you know, if I was diagnosing Donald Trump, and I'm not, but uh, if I were to, I would say, you know, at the very least, uh, narcissism, and and this uh, this hedonism diagnosis. I find this fascinating. The, the people who are incapable of, measure, you know, of, of understanding past and future time, basically they're trapped in this continual present where all they want is self-satisfaction and self-gratification. Um, so I, I think that those are the things that are the hallmarks of Donald Trump's psychopathology, Brian, um, you know, rather than dementia. But any, you know, time will tell. So thanks a lot for the call. Uh, Jeffrey in Miami. Hey, Jeffrey, what's up? Hey, hi, Tom. Hey, uh, Roosevelt, he started something pretty much new, what we was talking about before when, you know, the uh, having fear of fear, and he got rid of it, introducing government to solve private problems. Mm. 
You just imagine if he was alive today, how he would see the 2008 crash and how the Fed was used to bail out the rich instead of the government. Yeah. So I'm thinking Keynesian theory pretty much came around just when he needed it. Now we got this new thing with Bitcoin, where it pretty much gives a new definition to money. And that could be like perfect timing, whereas the Fed done lost credibility, bailing out the rich, whereas it could reverse with the Bitcoin and yeah. give a new kind of theory the way Keynesian gave theory to government, to the private sector. You follow me on this? I, I am and I do, uh, Jesse. Uh, excuse me, I called you Jeffrey. And uh, I'm, I'm personally skeptical about Bitcoin and all these uh, uh, non, non-sovereign currencies, uh, these digital currencies. I, you know, I've, it's, it's a useful way to um, facilitate, facilitate transactions online. But I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm real skeptical about this. And I don't see the Fed as the, as the problem, uh, frankly. And I, you and I have discussed this many times, Jesse. Um, I see the problem as being basically the national priorities that have been established by the Republican Party and how they're not serving us well. But, but I get what you're saying, and I think that your, your comments on FDR are spot on. Thanks a lot for the call, Jesse. Dion in Illinois. Hey, Dion, what's on your mind today? Yeah, Tom, I heard you talking about uh, following authoritarians yesterday. We know from Aristotle that you're either born a slave or you either follow a leader. And I wanted to talk about the genocide and eugenics in this country and the poor. We know that Donald Trump doesn't care about Puerto Rico. We know that the subsidies were removed, affected the poor. We know that the poverty is growing in parts of the city in America, especially in Portland with the tent cities. So do you think we're seeing a form of uh, genocide against the poor or some kind of eugenics? I, no, I don't think it's either one. I don't think it's a genocide or eugenics. I think it's just very simple negligence. You know, the rich people uh, who are the, a small cabal of very wealthy people who have seized control of and are driving the Republican Party are basically saying, I want mine. I don't care if it kills the planet. Uh, we will lie about climate change. I want mine. I don't care if it, if it starves the ability of, of the nation to protect the, the powerless or the weak. Uh, or even the middle, the middle class, I want mine. And so, you know, it's, it's this uh, government by billionaire that, that, is, that is really, in my opinion, that's, that's the, the campaign. And the casualties, of course, are the poor people, are people of color, are young people, are elderly people. Uh, you've got Trump now proposing to cut Medicare, to cut Medicaid. Um, I'm waiting for his proposals to cut Social Security to come down the road. I mean, this is what's going on right now, and it's something that we need to acknowledge. But uh, uh, I, you know, I, I don't think that they're sitting around saying, let's stick it to poor people. I think they're sitting around saying, how can we stop directing the resources that we take from rich people via taxes from going to poor people and reroute those resources back to the rich people? That's what I think is going on. Thanks for the call. Denise in Hermosa Beach. Hey, Denise, what's on your mind? Wonderful, wonderful. I'm so glad to, to talk to you, Tom. So um, I believe that Trump and the Republican Party is very much like, are you there? Yeah, I am. Okay, good. Uh, is very much like uh, climate change. And all we can do is mitigate the damages. I wrote this uh, entry in my journal the day after Las Vegas and feeling the pain of Maria and then uh, Houston and Florida. 
And, you know, it was just, it was just too much. So I'd like to read my entry, and then I'd like to get off and let you think sure. about it. Trump is climate change personified. His presidency is a man-made disaster, either by domestic stupidity or foreign exacerbation, which the majority of thoughtful people did not support. His very presence provokes any calamity to extremes of emotion, controversy, and danger. His statements, thoughtlessly tweeted for his basis entertainment, are the world's embarrassment and our shame. He is climate change given absolute power. Wow. He will be our demise. All we can do is mitigate the damages. Yeah. You, know, you, know, you know, Herbert Hoover was of the opinion that government should not be doing anything to restrain industry and was at the tail end of a massive, you know, an eight-year campaign of deregulation by the Republicans. What Trump is doing now has been done before. It's just been done with more elegance and grace and, and, and less bombast. So Herbert Hoover wasn't viewed as a bombastic guy. He was viewed as a thoughtful guy who screwed everything all up. <laughs> yeah, but so. I, I, I don't think that... I, I, I don't know because I'm not a historian. I, I have never felt the kind of strange support yeah. around one individual in my entire life. Yeah, same here. My, my experience as well. Denise, thank you for the call. We'll be back. They're coming up on 45 minutes. Uh, past Welcome back. John Harvick here with you and Laura in Champaign, Illinois. Hey, Laura, what's up? Hi, Tom. Um, I'd like to address your conversation about the Republican lies. Mm-hmm. Um, the right is calling truth lies and lies truth. And their lies are meant to confuse the public. And when they can, when they can successfully redefine reality, they can do whatever they want. So we on the left need to continue to defend the truth. We need to continue calling out their lies to those we talk to who believe those lies and not give up. So if by chance a person starts to question these lies, they may remember the conversation that we've had with them defending the truth and begin to see through those through the lies. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, an excellent point. An excellent point, Laura. Um, Thank you for the call. Christian in Washington State. Hey, Christian, uh, what's up? Hey, Tom. Or is that Washington, D.C.? No, it's Washington State. Okay. What's up? Um, I'm just, my father-in-law died in the uh, firestorm. And it absolutely disgusts me that it took our president so long to even mention it. And then when he did, he almost had, like, admiration for how cool the fire was and how fast it moved, you know? It's just sickening to me. I'm sorry to hear about your loss. Yeah. So your concern is that Trump didn't want to talk about the fires and hasn't... You know, it's, it's like every opportunity that he has given to be empathetic to show any kind of empathy, to show any kind of identification with other human beings, 
including the other night when, when he was asked about the four soldiers who died in Niger, and he made it all about himself. Uh, you know, I think he's so lacking in empathy, he literally does not know how to do that. And, and so he, he does what he does. And, and uh, you know, I, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. And, and he doesn't like talking about things like the fires because he's not doing some kind of heroic effort against them. And in fact, it's in a blue state in California. And Jerry Brown is the governor and he's doing a good job of, you know, uh, doing what he can do about it. So um, it's, it's uh, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Christian, thank you for the call. Vanessa in California. Hey, Vanessa, what's up? Hi, Tom. I got to tell you, you need to get more sleep. You were wondering last week about why you were popping off. Uh It's because you're exhausted. I am? We had all of these these dire things happen, and you had to move cross-country. Oh. You're exhausted. Get some sleep. Yeah, okay. Well, I've I've been doing that, Vanessa. (laughs) I actually went to sleep last night about 7.30. (laughs) Got up at 4 o'clock this morning. So... Um, is, is that what you call about? The thing is, is uh, we all know who runs the country and who runs the world, really. Um, criminal oligarchy. And uh, here's a scenario for you. Uh, your trucker is going across country with your stuff. Mm-hmm. And the floods hit Houston. And the criminal oligarchy doesn't have to care about who needs what and what contracts have to be honored. He just wants his thing to be taken care of. So he can extort the trucking company to get the guy that's supposedly bringing your stuff to, no, go down to Houston and handle this. Uh, yeah, I'm and pretty sure that's not what's going on. Eventually, because he has trouble getting fuel. And Irma hits. And some other criminal oligarch pulls him off to go do something in Florida. Yeah, And then... Las Vegas happens, and the fires happen, and yeah, they'll get around to you eventually. But yeah. I think this is this, Vanessa. I understand what you're saying, and I, and I will try to get more sleep. And I think that all of our stuff on the moving company truck is because their business model is probably that they aggregate stuff in their warehouse until they can fill one entire truck. And in our case, it took them a month and a half to reach the point where they had enough people moving from D.C. to the West Coast that they could do that. That's just my guess, but you know, it's, it, 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 I, I think that that's the case. Vanessa, thanks for the call. Um, I, I, I appreciate the sentiment. Sue in Albuquerque. Hey, Sue, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. I'm so glad to talk to you, and I agree with the last caller. A um, little worried about you, but I'm sure you'll pull through. <laughs> Thank you. Um, a, a friend of mine uh, about in September, who I've known forever, um, she uh, committed suicide. And I think it was post-election depression. I think she just gave up. And, uh, you know, we're 60 years old. Um, She wasn't making money. She had lost her business in the 2008 recession. And um, I just want to encourage people, like, don't give up. Just um, even if you get rebuffed, you know, leave the door open. Call people. Call your friends. And, um, you know, uh, what do you have to say? Yeah, no, I I completely agree with you. And if anything, this is a time, this, this time of crisis uh, with this Trump-Pence presidency, and they're equally uh, bizarre and frightening for different reasons, uh, is a time that we need to be supporting each other. We need to be holding each other eventually, um, uh, whether it be you know physically or emotionally or even spiritually holding each other in our prayers. 
Uh, so I, yes, but Sue's spot on. Thank you for the call. I, I, and I'm very sorry to hear about your loss. Bill in Albany, Georgia. Bill got a minute to the uh, end of the hour. What's up? Yeah, I um, just want to say that uh, the Republican Party about the lies and everything, I don't know how they can be the moral of, you know, the moral standard for the nation that they try to be, or say they are with when they're the least of all, and uh, they do the, the worst to the people. And uh, also on another thing, um, just, just off the track, but um, about a year, year and a half gone, 60 minutes, they had about a new energy source that was these tiles. This guy made a machine that had these tiles with a special coating that would create electricity on its own. And they were putting three units on top of the GE corporate building, wherever that is, uh, to run the whole building. And these would be individual units that could be put outside a home and run the home with no electric grid, no nothing else. And since then, I haven't been able to hear a thing about it. Well, see, this is essentially what Elon Musk is suggesting he would like to do with Puerto Rico, is, you know, make every house or at least every community at home basically local power uh, Bill, thanks for the call. It's it's going to be interesting to see if we can do this and if it can be done in a way that isn't shock You're listening to Tom Hartman. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And on the line with us, Dr. Jeffrey Sachs, professor of economics and director of the Center for Sustainable Development at Columbia University. Uh, Columbia.edu, senior UN advisor, author of numerous books, his latest, Building the New American Economy, Smart, Fair, and Sustainable, with a foreword by Bernie Sanders. His website, jeffsachs.org. And uh, you, can, you can tweet him at Jeff D. Sachs. Uh, Dr. Sachs, welcome back to the program. It's been a while. Hi, Tom. Great to be with you. Really a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. You have uh, launched a new initiative called America's Gold. Uh, tell us about this. The basic idea is to help get us out of our spinning in place or uh, falling off the ledge, whichever uh, bad metaphor uh, you, uh, you cherish. We need to look forward in the United States, um, and we need to understand that we are falling so far behind our potential and increasingly so far behind other normal countries that maybe by setting some clear objectives, some measurable objectives on issues like the quality of jobs or uh, the uh, extent of uh, health care costs or life expectancy, we can get back to actually solving some problems rather than the kind of madness that we have right now. So, so we launched a... Uh, a, a, a set of goals, seven goals on jobs, affordable health care, uh, education, uh, empowering people over special interests in our politics, and so on, set for the year 2030. The idea is let's stop looking at, at if it's Trump, it, it's at a one minute time horizon. Uh, if it's normal politics, it's at most uh, a year or two. Let's look ahead so we can actually accomplish something real. Rather than talking about infrastructure, maybe we could actually plan and build some infrastructure. And the hope is that these goals can become 
part of our politics. Now, I know that's, that's a stretch, and uh, I'm uh, not sure that this is feasible, but the hope is that candidates, especially in state legislatures, will say, yes, this is what our state needs. This makes sense. This will help me politically because normal people in our country actually don't like the at all the absurdity that we're stuck in right now, the, the either the gridlock or the mania of a psychologically unstable president, and that goals that look ahead across the coming decade can not only help us to orient, but can help us to put some objectives back in our society and help to stabilize our politics and in a way uh, ultimately depolarize it as well. So we saw over the years, over the last couple of decades, Grover Norquist, who's a, a, a multimillionaire lobbyist, K Street lobbyist in Washington, D.C., uh, you know, representing very, very wealthy people, starting this program with his pledge on taxes, you know, no increase in taxes. And his organization, essentially, uh, supported as it was by billionaires, was successful in getting, you know, not only Republican legislators, but Republican presidents to basically swear an oath to, to him and his organization. Are, are you approaching this in, in sort of that direction? Are you trying to create a, an organization or a movement or a, or a meme or whatever, however you would define this, that will be powerful enough to influence individual politicians? Or are you presenting this as a set of policy objectives to the Democratic Party, for example, or some other political organization to say, here's how we turn these into uh, into reality over the next 13 years? It's a great question. You know, on the one hand, uh, Norquist has been extremely successful in, in his mission, actually, uh, and utterly destructive of the good in the United States. But I don't want to emulate that, uh, not in any way. Uh, the idea here is actually to identify things good for our country. And now this may sound uh, naive or romantic, uh, idealistic, but I think not. Goals that actually can be embraced by good thinking people of both political parties or of any of our parties, because there are more than two, of course, as things that a normal country should want and strive for. And so I don't even see this as a Democratic Party initiative, particularly, though this way of phrasing things may resonate uh, first with progressives, uh, and in fact, it resonates rather readily with progressives, because progressives uh, almost by heart and by nature say, we want to do something, we want to change, we want to create something, not just tear something down. But I do believe that for Americans uh, of you know, basically both parties and uh, maybe not the entire political spectrum, but a, a large part of it, the idea that everybody in the country should have basic job benefits or we should take special interest money out of our politics or we should promote the higher voter turnout. We call for at least 70 percent voter turnout in all the state and federal elections or we should move to renewable energy, which surprisingly has, maybe surprisingly, but uh, I think uh, hardeningly, has a 
strong support of about 70% of the American people. I believe the Republican Party is so twisted right now by Koch brothers' money, by Sheldon Adelson, by Robert Mercer, by nasty, wealthy billionaires who own the party have pulled it so radically to the right that McConnell and, and Ryan do not represent Republican Party voters. They represent some billionaires who fill their coffers. And it's pathetic to watch the party right now. They put forward one proposal after another that their own constituents would be harmed by, that their own constituents don't want. That was the whole story of the Obamacare repeal. And I'm waiting for some normal, good Republicans to say, that's not our party. Yeah. That's the Koch brothers. That's right. Adelson. So, Dr. That's Sachs, we have about a minute before we're going to hit a hard break here. I, the, the initiative is called America's Goals. I love the list. Uh, and and some, one of these days, I'd love to have a conversation with you about the EITC. But that I, we don't have time right now. But, you know, the good jobs, invest in children, affordable quality health care, uh, equal opportunity for all, sustainable infrastructure, clean air, water, and energy, empower people over special interests. Where can people find out more about this and join your crusade? They should go to americasgoals.org. All one word, no hyphens or underlines, americasgoals.org. Okay. They can read about the goals. They can see how America is falling behind you know, a dozen or more other countries. So there's nothing outlandish about what we're calling for. But boy, are we off track right now. And then people can pledge that this is something that they want. They want to see politicians get off their special interest politics uh, get off of their hyper-partisanship and get back to taking care of the common good for the American people. And I, I think people will indeed find these goals very attractive. Yeah, it, it, it sounds good. Americasgoals.org. And, and uh, is there a specific organization associated with this? There are a, a couple of organizations. There's an organization called Future Now, which is uh, an organization that is promoting these goals for candidates and a number of candidates uh, starting with the uh, Virginia state legislature elections uh, coming up have said we want to endorse these goals and there's an organization called SDG USA which is a, a think tank devoted to sustainable development in the United States which is putting forward the metrics Great. measurement. Dr. Sachs we're, we're, we're flat out of time but thank you so much for being with us. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Dr. Jeffrey Sachs, the uh, americasgoals.org, the website. And uh, Dr. Sachs, thank, thanks, thanks again. We'll be when was the last time you looked forward to sitting at your desk all day? Since getting my new X chair, not only am I enjoying the time spent in my desk much more than ever, but I can't believe how much more productive I'm being. My X chair is unbelievably stylish, and thanks to all the ways that you can personalize it, it literally molds itself to my body. Trust me, this is not your grandfather's office chair. And because I don't need to keep having to take breaks or to stretch my back, I'm getting more done in a day than ever before. If you spend a lot of time in your office chair every day, then you need to try the X chair. In fact, here's a terrific deal just for my listeners. The makers of X chair want you to feel the X chair difference for yourself. So if you go to xchairtom.com, that's the letter X chair, T-H-O-M.com, not only will they knock $100 off the price, but they'll even throw in a free footrest if you use the promo code TOM. Just go to xchairtom.com now. I love my X chair, and you will too. So check out xchairtom. 
That's xchairthom.com. Check out xchairtom.com and be sure to use THOM as the promo code for your $100 discount. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Thank you so much for having me again. Ah, thanks for joining us. So uh, I've been, you know, getting your your emails and your group's uh, emails for some time on the the whole uh, Iran nuclear deal and whatnot. Um, what what are your thoughts on the direction that the nuclear deal, uh, you know, this 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 five nation and Iran nuclear deal? Um, was taking us, uh, we being the world, I suppose, versus the direction that Donald Trump seems to be pushing us with all his rhetoric around this. I think what Donald Trump right now is doing is that he is essentially going to Congress and telling them, let's kill this deal together or I'll kill it on my own. But bottom line is, everything he's suggesting will go down a path that eventually will see this deal killed. I think the media got it a little bit wrong last week because they were expecting that he would kill the deal in one move, whereas instead he's killing the deal in two or three moves, but he's still killing the deal. And that's a disaster. And that's part of the reason why many people inside of his own administration are also very, very uncomfortable and flat out opposed to the direction that he's going. And and by by killing the deal in two or three moves, now the, the, the first move that he has taken is he's refusing to certify that Iran is in compliance, even though everybody agrees Iran is in compliance. Um, but that, that in and of itself doesn't kill the deal. What are the other two steps that you're anticipating? So he's gone to Congress and he said, let's work on a piece of legislation that changes the terms of the deal. Well, no single country can unilaterally change the terms of the deal. That is a violation of the deal. Imagine if the Iranians were coming and saying, look, we're just going to change a bunch of the terms of this deal and we're not going to give up this amount of uranium or stop uh, operating this amount of centrifuges, that would be a clear violation to what has already been agreed upon. But beyond that, the specific changes he's asking for are changes that will ensure that the Iranians walk out. So if we go down this path with Congress, the deal will be violated, the Iranians will walk out, the deal will be collapsing. And then Trump said, if Congress doesn't do this, then I will terminate the deal myself. So either we kill the deal together, or I'll kill it on my own. Does he have the power to do that? He's going to kill it. Does he have the power to do it unilaterally? He can reimpose sanctions through... Um, executive order, and that would be a violation of the deal. And that would uh, most likely lead to the deal collapsing unless the European and other countries really stand up to Trump and also ensure that those sanctions cannot be imposed, because those sanctions actually would be targeting European companies, not necessarily Iranian companies. So so just we probably should have started here in terms of this conversation. What would the consequences be? How would the world be different? How will the politics and the the international geopolitics of this play out if this deal is, 
shattered by, by Donald Trump's behavior? Well, what the deal did is that it took two very bad options off the table. The option of the Iranians being able to build a nuclear weapon and the option of the United States going to war with Iran. If you kill the deal, those two options come back onto the table. And that would fundamentally change the geopolitics because this would be a significant war. This would not be a minor military confrontation. This would be much bigger than the Iraq war. And 10 years after the Iraq war, we're still paying the consequences for that disastrous mistake. So how, how is this viewed inside Iran, Dr. Parson? Well, inside of Iran, the population, of course, is tremendously disappointed. They really wanted this deal. They're disappointed already because they believe that the U.S. had violated the deal and that much of the benefits were not coming through. But it's also another political problem that has been added, which is, the conservatives in Iran from the very outset said, we don't believe in this deal. We don't believe the United States is going to be honest and live up to its word and deliver on its end of the bargain. It will betray this deal sooner or later. And the moderates were more pushing for the idea, let's give this a chance. Perhaps there will actually be something that will trigger a broader reduction of tensions between the two countries. Now the conservatives have in the eyes of many people in Iran been vindicated because it's not even been a year and a half, two years, and the United States is already starting to undermine the deal. This will make it much more difficult in the future for any Iranian administration, for any Iranian foreign policy member of the foreign policy elite to make the argument for a negotiation with the West because the past has just been a long, steady stream of disappointments and betrayals in their narrative. Is it, is it a, a reasonable conclusion or assumption or, or acknowledgement or whatever that Iran is actually becoming more uh, small d democratic or have they been, uh, it seems like that's the direction that, uh, that the country has been traveling at least over the last <clears throat> decade or two. Or has there been a reversal in that? You referenced conservatives in, in Iran. So uh, I think the Iranian society has been pushing for democratic changes for quite some time. And in the last couple of years, they've had some significant successes. Much of it has not been reported in the Western media. For instance, when Rohani won a landslide victory in the presidential election, defeating all of the conservative candidates combined. The media did not pay much attention to the local elections that also were taking place at the same time. Those elections are actually far more democratic because they don't have the same vetting system and guardian council interference in those elections. The reformists cleaned the slate in all of Iran's big cities, Tabriz, Mashhad, Isfahan, Shiraz, Tehran. They won all of the election, uh, all of the seats in the city councils. And the city councils elect the mayors. And the mayors are very powerful in Iran. In the city of Mashhad, which is a very conservative city, a woman ran on a platform of opposing the patriarchy. Her slogan was, elect more women. She won. Whoa. In fact, the number of women in the city council, I believe, tripled in that election. In contrast, just to put things in context, 
Two weeks ago, Saudi women were allowed to drive cars. So there's a uh, maybe a century-wide gap between Saudi Arabia and Iran in terms of of, of, of human rights. Um, we have just a few, uh, you know, about a half a minute left. We're talking with Dr. Trita Parsi, of the the president of the National Iranian American Council in NIAC. Um, what what would you encourage my listeners and viewers to be doing right now to inform themselves about the situation and to become activists? I encourage them to go uh, to our website. Uh, there's plenty of material produced by us, produced by others. Uh, if they're in the United States, I strongly encourage them to get in touch with their members of Congress because this is now in the hands of Congress. Oppose all new sanctions because these sanctions will violate the deal. It will lead to the deal collapsing. And then we will be once again faced with the risk of war. Um, so the website is NIACouncil.org. Dr. Trita Parsi, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Great speaking. Great speak. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Last half hour of our program. And Bob in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Hey, Bob. Bob? Oh. oh, hello there. Hey, Bob, you're on the air. What's what's up? Hey, you know, when you were speaking earlier about the hurricane mm-hmm. hitting the British Isles, I thought about some really good news that I think you and your listeners are going to really enjoy if we hadn't heard this yet. And that is that many scientists believe that regenerative plowing, where, where we regenerate the soil around the world that has been killed by chemicals, could actually reverse climate change by the en- enormous sequestration of carbon that occurs in live organic soil. Yeah, the folks at Carbon Underground, uh, I think it's carbonunderground.org, but it's the Carbon Underground, uh, they've got a big... Yeah test uh, or demonstration uh, place down in Costa Rica. Louise and I were down there with a camera crew just a few months ago filming it for a documentary that's going to be coming out later this year or next, early next year. And uh, you're, you're absolutely right, Bob. The, the regenerative farming, it's not going to solve the problem, um, but it will help bring our world back to some semblance of homeostasis. Uh, the problem is that you're going up against a, a multi-billion dollar industry. You're, you're taking on, you know, at every level, you're taking on the chemical companies, you're taking on the seed companies, and you're taking on the farm equipment manufacturers. And, uh, you know, none of whom are engaged in, in regenerative agriculture or the kind of agriculture that builds healthy soil and, and, and in the process sequesters carbon. So it's a, it's a hell of a project. It's a big challenge. But, but you know, well said, Bob. It, it, it is, that, that really is a solid way to do it. And uh, the Rodale Institute has done some great work on this, too. Uh, check them out. Uh, Bob, thanks a lot for the call and the heads up. Tony in Buffalo, West Virginia. Hey, Tony, what's on your mind? How you doing, Tom? Thanks for taking my call. I listen to you all the time. Thank hey, you. Uh, an answer to your, your question when you first came on about uh, the 10 lies. Are the voters going to continue to believe those lies? You know, I, I was thinking about it when you were saying that, and I was asking myself because I had gone through the kind of crazy transformation of voting for Obama uh, all eight years and not liking my choices when the opportunity came and felt like I picked the the best of two bad situations. I feel like I'm right back there again. You know, Um, what's the alternative? What's what's coming down the pipe? 
to give me a to give me a different choice, you know. And uh, some no. of us are, uh, I think, uh, and people, some people I know have, have explained to me the the same situation they're in that they feel like uh, there's not a lot of choices out there right now. And and uh, Tony, Tony, the reality is that more people are uh, first time politicians, first first time running for political office. Uh, more people are doing that right now and, and preparing for this election cycle, of, at, at least according to the people that I've been talking to at like Our Revolution and some of these groups that are monitoring this stuff. And Daily Kos does a really good job of, of tracking this stuff too. More are now than have in quite some time. But the one thing that Donald Trump has done is he has energized the left. And, and frankly, I think he's energized right across America. I think, you know, uh, women are outraged by his uh, stances on uh, by his, uh, you know, pro-groping position. Uh, people of color are horrified by the way that he's trying to take down the uh, NFL players. Uh, the, you know, uh, people of, of goodwill all over the world are shocked and horrified by the way he's behaving. Um, I, I, I think that, that uh, you know, good things are happening, number one. And number two, if you want to make sure, Tony, that the Democratic Party in your area, in Buffalo, West Virginia, if you want to make sure that the Democratic Party is providing you with candidates that you can vote for, that you approve of, and is campaigning on a platform that you also approve of, that you think is you know, a good and useful and positive platform, get inside the Democratic Party and be the guy who's picking the candidates and who's writing the platform. And the way you do that is you just show up at your local Democratic Party and say, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to participate. And after you know, coming to a couple of meetings, uh, you know, make yourself uh, uh, offer to become a precinct committee person. And, and if you can get elected to that position or appointed to that position, and it varies from state to state and county to county how it's done. But if you can get in that position, then you are the guy who's making those decisions uh, rather than the guy who's sitting around complaining about those decisions. So that's my advice to you, Tony. Tony, thanks a lot for the call. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have the latest news and information from Wall Street and Main Street, all points in between, plus the best of the rest of the news. And don't forget, democracy begins with you. Get out there, show up, participate, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.